We have perhaps more reasons in our culture today than any other time in history to be distracted. You know, with the barrage of busyness and uh, information that invades our lives today, staying focused on the important things of life is getting harder and harder. You know, mobile devices uh, have been a detriment to our culture in this regard. Uh, Reports of injuries uh, to distracted walkers treated at hospital emergency rooms have more than quadrupled in the past seven years. In fact, about 1,152 people were treated in hospital uh, emergency rooms in the U.S. last year for injuries suffered from walking and using cell phones or some other, uh, some other device that would distract them. Uh, that's likely an understatement of numbers because there are more than likely many, many others that do those sorts of things but don't go to the hospital to go get checked out for whatever reason. You know, we may get uh, distracted in our lives, but a more important question for us to be asking is how distracted are you spiritually? If you're an average Christian, you probably would have to admit that you are fairly distracted. Whether it's shuffling the kids around from, uh, from event to event or whether it is the, the work that piles up from the office to the, to the home or whether it is um, being able to keep up with the social life or, or constantly being on Facebook or constantly getting text messages or constantly doing these sorts of, of things, whatever it is, if you were to be honest with yourself, you would have to say, I am a distracted Christian and I stand in front of you as one of them. You're too busy. You're too stressed. You're too prior, uh, preoccupied to think about the deeper things that we find in this treasure chest we call the Bible. Instead of sticking to the basics of, of word, prayer, and having time together as a, as a community of, of believers, uh, we would prefer Christianity a la carte. Do you know what I mean by that? You're the first one to pick up the, the latest Christian book fad or, or pick up on the latest fad, whatever it is, or, or the latest Christian diet or the, uh, the newest way to experience God. And these things may or may not be helpful for us as believers in our Christian life, but oftentimes they, they distract us and maybe even become our replacements for the relationship that we're supposed to have with Christ in His Word and in prayer and in community together. Now, we worship a God who is gracious and kind, who loves us deeply, But God's desire for your life is not that you would be average, but that you would thrive in your faith. 
And so he appointed his, his apostle, uh, Paul, to help us refocus our attention uh, to those things uh, or away from those things that may or may not be helpful and rather point them to those things that will benefit us and grow us and get us to put our sights and our focus squarely upon the object of our faith, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the church at Colossae suffered the same things that we, that we do uh, 2,000 years ago. And so Paul's words are just as applicable to us as they were to them. And so if you brought your Bibles with you today, I want to invite you to open up to the letter of Paul to the Colossians. We are in chapter 2. We're going to be finishing up chapter 2 today. Next week, we'll be uh, beginning into the... Uh, the nitty-gritty uh, words of Paul. He's been pretty, he's been pretty philosophical, uh, philosophical and theological up to this point, and next week he's, he's going to be showing us Christianity on the ground level. For this week, we are in, in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. This is what he writes. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you, in questions of food or drink, or with regard to festival, or new moon, or, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on and on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting a self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. God, would you help us today to see how our lives are so distracted and help us, Lord, be able to tune out the noise of life so we can focus on what is really important, who you are, who Christ, who the Holy Spirit is, that we can live in enjoyment of the Holy Trinity together with all the saints. And it's in Christ's name that I ask this. Amen. You know, we are a distracted lot. You know, but we can guard our focus by paying attention to, I think, three things that Paul tells us. And the first is, is that we need to watch how we worship. Watch how 
you worship. Up to this point, Paul has already given us a number of directives to prevent spiritual distraction. If you remember a couple weeks ago in, in chapter 2, verse 4, he told us to, to not be deluded with plausible-sounding arguments. And remember, we, we, we said that, uh, that they're plausible because they sound real. There's enough of, of the truth in it for us to believe it, but it's false enough for us to not be spiritually uh, benefited by it. In chapter 2, verse 8, he wrote that we ought to see to it that no one takes us captive. And remember, we, we said that that word captive is a kidnapping term. Don't let those ideas, those vain philosophies, those hollow arguments take you hostage. And now he exhorts us, and in fact, he actually commands us in verse 16, that we not let anyone pass judgment on us in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now we need to remember that the church at Colossae, uh, the believers in Christ were experiencing pressure. And they're experiencing pressure on two different sides. Uh, again, on, on the one side, they were having pressure uh, from Gentiles that came out of a Roman context that were filled with, with the three Ps, uh, polytheism, paganism, and philosophy. Folks from this camp or, or this tribe would have been, would have been telling uh, the, the, the people at the church, they would have been saying things like, hey, hey folks, all of this, this rich heritage that that we as Romans have, as even in the heirs of, of the Greek traditions, we have uh, all this stuff that really isn't bad. In fact, it can enhance an understanding, uh, your understanding of life and give you a better perspective on reality. In essence, they were saying that if you want to be a Christian, you have to add Jesus to all of these otherworldly thoughts and all of these Roman mythologies and all of these uh, uh, Greek philosoph uh, philosophical arguments. Now, on the other side, there was the significant Jewish population in, in Colossae, and many of whom had come to Christ. And they were placing pressure on the members of the church by saying, look, being Jewish, well, that's just God's way. I mean, Jesus was Jewish, for crying out loud. You can't be a Christian unless you take on the customs of the Jewish faith. And this, this is the crowd that now Paul is addressing in verses 16 and 17. Now, to their credit here, it would be easy to understand this, this Jewish mindset Throughout the Old Testament, we're talking 2,000 plus years. God's people were distinguished for you through a few things. If you remember way back in Leviticus 11, and, and uh, I, I know you know all the details of all the chapters in Leviticus, but in Leviticus chapter 11, their dietary restrictions were detailed. There were some animals that they could eat. There were some animals that they were forbidden to eat. And the, the ones that they were allowed to eat had to be kosher, which means all the blood had to be drained out of it before the meat was 
was prepared. In Leviticus 23, the Hebrews were instructed on, on, in order to be a Hebrew, you have to have all these different parties and all these different holidays, and you need to participate in them, and one of them was the new moon. And perhaps most radically, he throw, Paul throws out here Leviticus 23, in which the Hebrews were instructed to take a, a Sabbath day of rest, a day in which they couldn't do any sort of work. And they took it to extreme ends to talk about what that Sabbath meant. So in a Jewish mindset, it's easy to understand them coming to the people at the church and say, this is what God has expected for over 2,000 years. Why would anything change now just because this, this Jesus fella came on the scene? But it's here that Paul then blows the, the whistle and he calls a foul. Because in verse 16, notice that he says, let no one, and this is people in the church, let no one pass judgment on you for declining to participate in these sorts of celebrations and festivals and all these sorts of things and kosher laws. And this would have been a radical paradigm shift for any Jew that would have been, uh, any person that would have had a Jewish background. He is telling the church at, at Colossae, many of whom were probably of Jewish heritage, he's saying, for those of you that are receiving the pressure, don't feel guilty about not doing those things. Being a Christian is not bound up in cultural activities and, and traditions and, and history. Being a Christian is and only is based on what Christ has done for us and us having faith, trust, belief in Him. And this is regardless of what you've done in your past. Regardless of what you've practiced spiritually in the past, Christ is the essence of Christianity. You know, further, Paul is saying, for those of you who, who, who grew up in the Jewish community, you all need to stop pressuring these people that didn't come from this background. You need to stop getting on them for these sorts of things. If you want to practice those festivals, if you want to, if you want to celebrate the Sabbath in that way, that, that, that's fine. But don't, don't go pushing that on these other people. That's not right. You're violating conscience issues. And further, God is not saying that those things are a requirement. Don't push them to think that their salvation depends on it. So why would Paul be so forceful here? Look in verse 17. He explains, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You know, many years ago, uh, there was a gag on Sesame Street, and uh, our kids absolutely loved it when, when they were really little. 
featuring the best character on Sesame Street, who obviously is Grover. I mean, no one comes even close to being a better character than Grover. In my opinion, Elmo ruined the show. But Grover was the one that took Sesame Street and made it funny. And so he had this little, this little sketch comedy called I Have a Furry Shadow. And if you remember this one, he is singing to the camera with this spotlight hitting him, and he's got the shadow, and he's going to teach these children about what his shadow is and what shadows are. And he tells them, I'm not going to sing it in a Grover voice, by the way. He says, I have a furry shadow. It looks a lot like me. It goes wherever I go, as you can plainly see. And then he goes on to tell them that whatever he does, whether it's he jumps or he hops or he ducks down or he runs and runs and runs and runs. And, you know, in Grover terms, it's pretty humorous as he does this. And throughout the sketch, you see that this is absolutely true. What Grover is doing, his shadow does. But what, what Grover is trying to teach them is not the shadow, but rather the, the shadow points to the object that is making the shadow. It's not about the darkness, it's about what the light is pointing on. And so Paul is telling the people at Colossae here not to focus on the shadow, but rather to focus on the object that makes the shadow. And here, these things that they once took the form of the faith community, but they were only pointing towards the object. And now Christ stands in that light and sheds darkness on those sorts of things because all they're meant to do is to point to him. And Paul is telling the people here, don't let these people get you down because you won't do these things. These things don't matter anymore. They were only pointing to what you already have, and that is Christ Jesus. Now, we are not immune to this sort of pressure today. It might take different forms. There are legalistic camps all over the place, not just in our church, but in every single church. You know, for example, uh, uh, in some circles, the, 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 the thermostat goes up and the temperature just gets a little bit warmer when a Christian might not be a Republican. It's as if the litmus test of Christianity is the level of support that you have for President Trump. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is beautifully diverse with lots of different perspectives. People who are on both sides of the aisle according to their Christian convictions, both of whom are found in both parties to varying degrees, and both of them have very wrong things about them. Don't let others tell you that just because you're not one or the other, that you're any less of a Christian. That's wrong. The pressure to show our worship of God through our political lens is a dangerous metric to base our Christianity on. Further, there may be some of you that feel like a lesser Christian 
because you're not gifted in certain ways, or maybe you uh, don't have the passion for a certain cause, or maybe you don't feel as spiritual as someone else when you see them raising their hands and in worship, and, and maybe there's something wrong with me because I'm not filled in the Spirit as they are. And you feel like maybe if you did, that you'd be judged. After all, we're Baptists. We only silently judge, right? All of these preserved requirements for worship are distractions from truly worshiping Jesus. So Paul tells you, don't let others pass judgment on you for this. Simply because you aren't one of them. Lift your eyes up to where your help comes from. The Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. So we need to watch how we worship. But second of all, we need to watch what we worship. Watch what you worship. In verses 18 and 19, Paul enters into yet another thing that the, that the Colossians ought to guard themselves against. Uh, remember again in verse 4, he warned them of the influence of the mind. Don't be duped by these things. Don't be duped by plausible-sounding arguments. In verse 8, he warned them against being spiritually kidnapped. He just gave us a legal warning. Don't let yourself be judged. And now Paul moves on to the arena of athletics. In verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Now, our culture today is hardly lacking in any examples of what it means to be disqualified. In fact, just two months ago, maybe you saw this or not, but the World Anti-Doping Agency banned Russia from all international events for four years. That includes the Summer Olympics. It includes the World Cup in 2022. It includes the uh, Winter Olympics in 2022. It includes the Summer Olympics of 2024. That is a heavy disqualification. If you were to go to a website and look at the official record of the winners from the Tour de France from 1999 to 2000, you would see seven blank lines of winners. Because Lance Armstrong caught doping. Gives him a biological advantage against the competition. Disqualified himself. And if we pay enough attention, we find that, that uh, we see a large surge of pastors. Both famous ones. And both uh, from small churches. Being removed from the pulpit because they have disqualified themselves in one way or another. Folks, it, it, it hurts that almost every... There is not a week that goes by that I do not read of a pastor getting removed from their, their position because of either pride or arrogance or, or sexual infidelity or whatever the reason is. Disqualification. To be disqualified is to lose all the privileges of winning something because of a flaw or a choice that doesn't live up to the requirements or the standard of something. In verse 18, 
Paul is implying that you can be disqualified. You can be disqualified. How are the Colossians in danger? How are you in danger? How am I in danger? He goes on in verse 18. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. We'll, we'll get to that word here in a second. And worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So here we have more evidence that Paul is countering a Jewish attack on this fledgling church. To practice asceticism is to hold back from something. So you would look, uh, um, you know, for examples of like the, the monks that lived in monasteries years ago. They practiced asceticism. They would, they would take themselves out of a community. They would, uh, they, some of them wouldn't speak. They were being ascetic in their vocal uh, functions. They were uh, not uh, eating certain things. So it's basically to hold back as asceticism of something for a religious purpose. And more than likely, based on verse 21, which we're going to get to here in a second, they were scaring the church by saying that to be a Christian is to have a Jewish diet. Which means that bacon, well, bacon's got to go. Now you're seeing a big problem, right? Because if these people are coming up to the Christians and saying, hey, if you actually want to be a Christian, then the bacon's got to go, most of us, if we were in our right mind, would probably say, bacon's got to go? Well, uh, I might want to reconsider this decision. And so they're getting a little worried about this. And obviously it isn't just bacon. There are other foods and other behaviors that they were scared into abstaining from. We'll get more into that when we get to verse 21. But further, notice it wasn't uncommon in this time uh, between the Testament. So when the Old Testament ended, when Malachi was done with his ministry until the time that John the Baptist showed up in the wilderness, there was this Jewish obsession with angels. It's fascinating. If you go into some of the Jewish literature, which is super exciting, by the way, so if you're ever looking to wake up, Dave and I have some Jewish literature that you would just love. And they loved angels. And um, this was sort of their, their, their thing that they were into. And, and Paul here is saying that they are insisting on not worshiping with the angels, but rather, notice he says, worshiping the angels. So it's not putting yourself in a community of things, but rather it is taking something that is not God and making them God. And he is saying, no, there's only one object that we worship. Hebrews 1 is, is, is quite plain in that. If you have a few moments to, to go to Hebrews 1 today, that would be great because... The author of Hebrews 1 is saying that Jesus is higher than all the angels. He's been given a name that they don't have. He's not an angel. He is Lord of all. Now, when I was in college, I, I worked at a Christian bookstore uh, for a little while. It was a Protestant bookstore, but they sold some things that I thought were, were, were rather interesting and sort of made me uncomfortable. And one of those things was called a St. Joseph statue. And if any of you grew up Catholic, maybe you know what a St. Joseph statue is. If you are trying to sell your house and you're having uh, less luck trying to sell your house, well, you go and you get the St. Joseph statue and you bury it uh, 
a certain feet away from your house on a certain corner and you, a certain distance under the ground and, and St. Joseph will come to your aid and he will sell that house for you. Now, I sort of remember that growing up Catholic. I certainly remember patron saints of whatever. I lost something. Well, you need to pray to this saint and, and he will help you. He will help you find those sorts of, of things. You just pray to them. They'd come to your aid and it's totally baloney. You don't see it anywhere in Scripture. And it's exactly the mysticism here that Paul warns about. And, and notice the progression here that, that Paul details. This asceticism, which primarily uh, was uh, meaning about food, this obsession with angels, what these people would do is they would deprive themselves, worship angels, and they would start having these visions, which more than likely were hallucinations from keeping themselves back from nutrients. And so here, Paul's talking about these, they're going on and on about these visions and all these things that they see. And what they end up doing is they make that thing the main thing. So no longer is it about Jesus. It's about these visions that, 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 that I see and they couldn't keep the main thing the main thing. They had to overemphasize something that wasn't even helpful. And unless this sounds too weird or outside of anything that we know, we ought to be careful. There's this genre of Christian literature called heaven tourism books. You've seen all these on, on the shelves before. You know, these kind of books that were written by someone who had supposedly died and visited heaven for 25 minutes. I don't even know how they kept time there. Um, or, you know, in one case anyway, it was one person that, that went, to, went to hell. and They make an awful lot of money of selling books, telling their experience. And they're getting people to base their beliefs in their experience, not in the experience of the words of God, which often don't line up with these heaven tourism books. And notice finally here the heart behind this in verse 19. It says that they were not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joint and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So obviously the head he, here he's talking about, the word is kephale, which means uh, source, or you, you could put it as head. And he's the source of all things. And, and chapter 1, verse 17 tells us that, that not only is he the creator, but everything is sustained by the power of, of his hand. Can you imagine that? Like, if Christ wanted to stop the world from spinning right now, we would be crashing into these walls so quickly, it, it, it would be amazing. We are traveling on a ball that is spinning a thousand miles an hour right now. You ever think about that? Christ, if he wanted to, he could stop it like that. It would make for an interesting scene, but he could do it. And instead of holding fast to the source who, who creates and sustains everything, Paul says in verse 18 that they are puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. These are people that are all about themselves. And the, the, the word puffed up here literally means overinflated. Have you ever taken a balloon? I was hoping to get a balloon before this, but I totally forgot to. 
and blow it up to such a proportion that you sort of get nervous about it popping right in your face? How many of you have ever done that? Oh, okay, good. I'm not the only one that's ever done that. Okay, but you sort of, and you can't even tie it because it's so puffed up without reason. That's the image. It's that we, we get inflated with ourselves. It's not our oxygen that fills this balloon. It's our own glory. It's our own goodness that we fill up. Your egos are abnormally large. The self is the driving force. You've met people like this. You've been people like this. I've been people, I've been a person like this. And we should take heed of what Paul says here because we all too easily can be the person that Paul's talking about here. You know, John Calvin once famously wrote that the human heart is an idol factory, constantly producing things in our hearts that we worship. And unless we are watching how we worship as well as what we worship, Sky's to limit. The sky's the limit of what we won't stop at. So we need to watch how we worship. We need to watch what we worship. But then also we need to watch our motivations for worship. Watch your motivations for worship. And in verses 20 through 23, I believe is, it's, the, it's the key that unlocks the most important aspect of this entire uh, discourse here. It gets to the heart of the matter, literally, because it has to do with your motivations. If we could answer the question, why do we do what we do? Golly, think about how many problems would be solved in our lives. If you could analyze and know for sure why you do what you do, we would have way less counselors out there. But as it is, it, it, the heart is too hard to figure out. We, we can't do that. As a skilled discipler, Paul asks the question that we can't answer, um, and indeed we won't be able to until next week. So I'm going to put a to-be-continued dot, dot, dot at this point and keep going on. But here is the uncomfortable question in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world... In other words, if you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you have gone to him in repentance and faith, if you've received him as Lord and Savior, then why are you still alive in the world and submitting to these regulations? If you have died to the tyranny of trying to be something that you can't be, if you have died trying to earn God's favor, if you have died to the exhausting demands of trying to be righteous in yourself, why do you keep living as if you haven't? That's what Paul is asking us. It seems like there was an undue burden on the Colossian church here in verse 21. Paul writes, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. So this is a phrase that the Colossian church would have been familiar with. It could have been a mantra in their church. And folks, it's exhausting. 
it is exhausting trying to keep a list of all the do's and don'ts and all that sort of stuff. You know it. You've lived it. It's exhausting. And undoubtedly, they were questioning their standing with Christ. If you are living that way, where you see spirituality or Christianity as a checklist, I have to do this, 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 avoid this, 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 and this, you are naturally always going to be questioning yourself. That's why Christianity is about something being done for us, not something that we need to do. You know, our church has seen its share of this mindset. There was a time in our church, certainly a while ago, when the deacons, the leaders of our church, would park outside the Paradise Theater and secretly watch to see if any youth from Emmanuel Baptist Church would go into the theater. And if they did, they would either go in there and rescue them or they would be on the phone with their parents while the movie is still going on. It was within 30 years that there was absolutely no way that anyone could dance in the church. So, Jonathan, what do we call it instead? Foot fellowship. Yep, we just changed the wording, right? Last night at the retreat, we were doing line dancing as a group. Enough said. Um, <laughs> More recently, we dealt with the, with the issue of alcohol production and consumption. And yes, there are abuses of all sorts of these, these sorts of things. But Christian wisdom is needed. The gospel is not based on what you do or what you don't do. It is based in spite of what we do. And let's be honest, there are some things in the Bible that we, uh, that are simply left to our individual consciences. Yes, there are some things that are out of bounds. Absolutely there are. But does that mean that we get to flaunt our freedom? Not at all. It's a call to wisdom. But it's also a call to to chill out a bit and keep the main thing, the main thing. Why is this important? It's important because when we place those non-biblical regulations on ourselves and others, it might end up in us thinking that we look really good or we feel really good about ourselves. But check out what Paul says in verse 23. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom. If you're one of those that likes to mark up your Bible, the word appearance is a good word to mark up. They have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. These are people that fast themselves to the point that they would have visions and later on in church history had flogged themselves and all sorts of stuff. But it, he goes on to say, they are of no 
value and stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, notice that Paul is saying that abstaining from these things or getting on people for not doing these things or for doing these things, you might think that that makes you more holy, but you are fooling yourself. They may appear wise, but they are not going to stop you from your pet sin or the vice that you struggle with. You may be one that struggles with a dark sin that you don't want anyone to know about. So then you either extrapolate that on to other people that are more public about it, or you may totally negate the issue and make something else the big issue. You judge other people without looking in the mirror. It appears wise, but it's got no power. You're relying on those things to keep you from sin? Good luck! So where does that leave you? It leaves you in the same place as the person who criticizes you or the person that gets harped on or gossiped about. It levels the playing field so that we are all on equal footing. Helpless and needy of the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the good news is that what we desperately need, God has given to us. He's provided for us that when Christ hung on the cross, Jesus was dealing, he was dying for our hypocrisy. When he was on the cross, he was dying for our false motivations. And by trusting in him, he'll give us new hearts. He'll give us new motivations. One that worships him solely. Ones whose motivation is not to blow up the balloon of selfishness and pride, but one that you can't even inflate the glory of God, but expands that for the world to see. So where is your heart today? Too many of us are spiritually walking through life on our mobile devices, not looking where we're going, and we are headed for disaster. We are distracted Christians. But just like the people that we saw earlier, to continue on that way is not good. We need to watch how we worship. We need to watch what we worship, or rather, who we worship, and we need to discover and maybe redirect our heart's motivation for worship. And that can happen through faith and trust in Jesus. Will you today 
come to him in your pride, in your arrogance, in your desire to inflate yourself and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be deflated. I don't want this to be about me anymore. I realize that, that I can do nothing on my own. It's only about the glory of God. Come to him this morning and do that. Come to Jesus, and he, cannot make, and he can make us to be not distracted, undistracted, or attracted. I don't know. You look at the prefects of that. I don't know, but you know what I'm saying. Come to Jesus, and he'll fix your focus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for uh, tough words here today, God. We get so distracted. Lord, we, some of us have... Um, we get stuck on, the, on our pet issues or we uh, get, get, get stuck in our self-pity. Lord, would you break down those barriers and help us to be refocused on Christ? Lord, help us as we go through this letter and we start getting really nitty-gritty on what faith looks like in the everyday would you help us as we're raising our children to be doing so with Christ as our focus? Lord, as we're going about our work through the day, through the week, would, would it be so through the lens of faith? Lord, as we go through our lives with the, with the hurts and the ailments and the doctor's appointments and, and the sorrows and the sufferings, would we go through those undistracted? Let us come to Christ and worship him and live our lives in ways in which he alone gets the glory and we get the joy. And it's in Christ's name that I ask this. Amen. Would you stand with us to respond to God's word and song?